You're listening to the COVID-19 series of Bridge the Gap podcast. This series is designed to provide resources, share the love stories, and encourage those who are working tirelessly to oversee the care of aging adults. We believe in you. Welcome to Bridge the Gap podcast, the senior living podcast with Josh and Lucas on our special series dedicated to COVID-19. We have an alumni back on the program, a good friend of ours, Brian Wynn from NRC. Welcome back to the program. Thank you. Great to be here. Brian, you were- Good to see you guys. You too. You too. We're, we're going to jump right into it. You were on a recent mm-hmm. episode where you guys released some of the findings of a study that you did, and now you have an up-to-date study. So give us a brief overview of what you studied before, and now talk us through the timeline and the outcomes of this new one. Sure. The previous study that we had, that we had spoken about just a few weeks ago, um, that data is a little over five and a half weeks old. And what we wanted to do was take a look at the generational differences, um, in, in their perceptions to the COVID crisis uh, in terms of consumer behavior, confidence in, um, in care providers, confidence in themselves to, to manage this crisis. And of course, um, uh, we want to understand the level of information that they place in news that they're receiving about uh, the COVID crisis and, and how to respond to it. So we had a generational breakdown, which, which is a bit unique, had about 2,000 responses from across the country. Uh, wanted to have an even representation from uh, Generation Z, from Millennial, from the Gen Xers like myself, and then, of course, Boomers and the Silent Generation. So um, we refresh that. And what we are looking at now is updated research from the same type of generational cohort. And I think what is not going to surprise anybody listening or, or you too is that we've seen a major shift in the last five weeks. Uh, I think as we have learned more about COVID, as we've seen uh, cases in the United States and unfortunately uh, deaths increase here, uh, we see the way that our lives have been impacted just in terms of social distancing or self-quarantining, uh, businesses being affected. We, we see that come out uh, very, um, it's illuminated very clearly in terms of consumer sentiment. So we see things like um, those level of concern by generation, you know, in some cases more than double in terms of, you know, will coronavirus impact my life? Uh, we see the numbers more than double from about 20% to about 48% on those that believe that they will contract coronavirus. So, uh, you know, we wanted to see essentially trending between this period of five weeks in a highly fluid situation, what it was going to look like from a from consumer standpoint, you know, that of URI. So, um, Brian, uh, walk us through some of the maybe similarities or differences uh, that you have pinpointed uh, comparing the the two studies. Sure. Uh, Similarities are really interesting because we thought that we might see a pretty decent gap uh, just just in that five-week time frame among all generational cohorts. But one thing that we've seen is that um, confidence in healthcare has changed a little bit. If we look at confidence in healthcare providers to manage a situation, do their job, uh, we see that actually on an increase. If we look at uh, confidence in healthcare providers to have the resources to be able to do their job, then that actually uh, has has seen a little bit of a decline. And I think some of that is a result of news coverage about uh, health systems and and basically any care providing uh, setting being overwhelmed. Uh, with this with this virus, but still a relatively high percentage of confidence from consumers um, about the care providers. We've actually seen a, a pretty big increase of individuals say that they feel they're really well informed about coronavirus, about how to identify symptoms, about how to 
um, you know, behave if you think that you've been exposed to it. And uh, I think that's really important because I think one of the things that is a fear to healthcare providers is if, if individuals are misinformed, they may seek treatment or behave inappropriately, which could help, which could exacerbate the situation. Uh, as I mentioned before, I think one of the more interesting changes in the data that we've seen is um, um, across the board, we've seen more, more and more individuals being, I'd say, more concerned at a global level about the coronavirus. So that's a very global question. You know, are, what it state your level of concern about COVID-19? All right. So it's, it's not at all to you know, very much. And so we've seen that, of course, increase, which is, I think, um, intuitively, we would have expected that. However, uh, we see some of the older generations, the, the boomers and the silent generation, haven't increased as much as some of the younger generations. And, and, and I know we've had a conversation about this, and that, that maybe is, is um, partially due to access to social media or, I'd say, like the daily interaction with media that the younger generations have versus older generations. Uh, or, or it could be a matter of thinking about the impact or concern of coronavirus being more inclusive of things like affecting one's job, their livelihood, income stability, things like that. And so that's something that we definitely want to pay close attention to moving forward. Yeah, I, I have to believe that, um, you know, depending on the person answering the study, what point of life they are and, and how they're being impacted directly or in, indirectly, um, so many people I know are talking about uh, especially the younger generation um, that uh, I often get a chance to talk with about, you know, what is the long-term fallout of this? Even once we're past this, you know, with how the economy has quickly come to a halt, not only just the American economy, but the kind of world economy. Um, and what does that mean near-term, long-term? And so I think when you factor in what all is weighing on people, because of this and the thoughts people are having, um, that could definitely be part of it. Yeah, certainly as we, as we think about what could potentially be weighing on an individual, a, a healthcare consumer, we wanted to be more inclusive too of, I would say, some of the more emotional and mental aspects of that. So, um, you know, to your point, Josh, is, is somebody, you know, will the, will the economy, will healthcare provider revenues, let's say, for example, recover more quickly? And at what point will, will that happen? What has to happen for, in order for that to be the case? I think we have to look at the, the state of well-being of the, of the consumer, right, of their customer. So uh, a couple of things come to mind, things that we can study. Number one would be uh, just the, the the state of well-being. So we wanted to understand, is this current situation, which is creating in some cases a lot of isolation, I mean, it's meant to, right? Um, is that affecting one's state of mental well-being uh, by way of, let's say, increased depression or anxiety as a result of either isolation or as a result of uh, financial stress or whatever it may be? And we've actually seen through this recent study that more than half the population has actually seen a decline in what they would consider their, their mental uh, state of well-being. So increased anxiety, increased depression. Uh, that's something we want to keep a very close eye on as well. And the other part of this is, uh, you know, how fast can we all recover in terms of an industry is going to be dependent largely on healthcare deferment. So we think of deferment as intentionally delaying healthcare need, right? So uh, there's always a certain level of healthcare deferment. We see economic uh, depressions increase deferment because of, I uh, would say, uh, insecurities around the financial side of side of healthcare. But now with this, um, you know, there, there's individuals that have stated fear about going to seek 
treatment that they need, maybe even move-in status has, has been delayed or deferred because of the existence and the persistence of this virus where maybe they just don't want to become exposed um, and are unsure how to go about what they would consider routine or necessary care. And so when that rebounds is going to, is it going to rebound in 30 days, 60 days, 90, you know, six, six months plus, I know we're, we're all waiting to see when that's going to happen. Um, definitely can't discount the financial consideration of that. Uh, and so uh, with cost pressure being applied to consumers, we're, we're likely to see deferment continue. And so the one thing that we don't want to see, and I think that we can all help uh, as, as healthcare providers and, and partners in the space is addressing this aspect of mental well-being and trying to reduce confusion and frustration around uh, the cost element so that we can begin to reduce the amount of people that are deferring what they have considered to be necessary healthcare. I'm wondering um, how technology actually plays into those aspects that you just mentioned. And given um, that we're as a globe learning how to work remotely, how does telehealth and telemedicine play into the survey or something that you think would be um, an aspect of our future care? Telemedicine has seen an absolute spike. Uh, you, you may imagine that, you know, with, with our, our acute health system partners, for example, we see like routine care visits or those that have questions about say, maybe do I have this virus? I'd like to run my symptoms by you. Uh, we've seen that we've seen a spike in that. So whenever you see an increase in volume or participation in an area, um, it's done a couple of things. Number one is put pressure on, I would say, uh, healthcare providers that have not provided that as an option, as a viable channel for care to be able to get to that point very quickly to where it can be a viable channel for, for care. And people can stay safe in their own home and still have a conversation with a care provider. And then the backside of that is if you hope to have that experience be at all meaningful or improve it in any way, then you have to be able to improve it, measure it. So uh, that's actually for for, uh, folks like NRC Health, we've evolved our tools to the point to be able to have a meaningful feedback mechanism uh, in the case of a virtual virtual setting or virtual visit so that you can have daily feedback and be able to tune that so that it is more meaningful and appropriate the very next time somebody has an engagement with you. You know, um, to your point on telehealth, uh, you know, I've, I've been a user, um, fortunately, not very frequently uh, in, in my short life, but of the telehealth and what a blessing it has been. Um, it's a feature available through the insurance plan that I'm part of. But um, I have noticed um, even several of my primary care and specialty um, doctors and physician networks here in the area where I live in Knoxville that did not previously really offer those services that I've been getting a lot of communication from them that now they're offering that. And, and one positive thing I, I thought of uh, is, you know, for the first time, um, typically I never hear from my physicians unless I need them. Right. Uh, and I'm going to them. Uh, but I've seen a, a lot of um, engagement with me uh, in a digital means of reaching out saying, hey, if you need us, here's all the ways you can reach us. Here's all the ways that we're virtually available to you. And so I actually thought that was a really positive thing uh, that has, I think that because of this in our industry, in society, um, in our teams, um, being you know, pressed and forced out of our comfort zone, um, it's amazing how human nature 
um, has brought us in many ways together. Um, even though we're isolated, as you say, we've been forced to actually work together in ways and communicate, probably over communicate in ways that we never did before. And I think, um, Brian, the work um, that you guys do um, across the healthcare continuum at NRC in really diving deep and helping us understand human nature and, and, and really that human understanding as you refer to it, that's how we actually adapt and that's how we study and that's how we create solutions um, to offset some of these tendencies that maybe aren't real healthy. Yeah, yeah. thanks for that. I, I, we believe so, <laughs> Josh, <laughs> we hope so. But one thing that, that technology has enabled us to do certainly is try to get at what is most important to any any audience, any stakeholder audience. If, it, if it's a resident or somebody going to a, a general practitioner for a physical, right? We want to we want to understand what's most important to that individual at that time, and hopefully, what's most important to them, um, you know, it, it, in less of a near term setting. So, like, what is important to you? What are your goals for your life? Your your health? Your you know your well being? And then, it, if providers are armed with that, then that's terrific. But there's only one way to get that information, and it's not through predictive models and all that that kind of thing. It's by asking. So there's only one way to understand what's important to me and that's to observe and ask me and, and try to, and then ask again, right. And then keep, keep tuning that. And I think that that does, it does go a long way towards helping an organization understand a person, uh, provide appropriate service based on their expectations and needs. But then I think one of the things you're, you're, you're talking about was building a sense of community. So uh, these technological tools can also connect us in such a way. I mean, look at what we're doing right now from, you know, from different locations around the country, but yet we're still having a conversation and we're still talking about how we can move forward and how we can do it together. And, and being inclusive like that is something that, you know, I guess we're lucky to be able to be in this day and age so we can do it this way. Well, and I think Lucas and I can speak to that. I think he and I have probably spoken more and communicated more uh, virtually in the last five or six weeks than um, than we ever did prior to this. I know we've engaged and our our listeners have engaged with us more than than ever. Our listeners actually uh, have have many of them have requested to get their hands on that study and we've provided that to them. And the first one, I know they're connect and get the this second study and we'll make sure um, that we'll get that in their hands and um, awesome uh, again as always having you on our show Brian anytime love what you guys do thanks for uh, thanks for bringing a voice to so many to be able to talk about what's important I will look forward to do it again uh, in person next time yeah I hope so <laughs> so too thank you all Brian, NRC, the Masters of Human Understanding on the show today. Hope this has been valuable to you. We just wanted you to know as our listeners, we want to connect with you. You can find us at btgvoice.com. We are set up now virtually to connect even better than we were before. And we really do love engaging with you with those direct messages and emails. Thank you for listening to Bridge the Gap. Thanks for listening to this episode of Bridge the Gap podcast, the COVID-19 series. If your company, community, or caregivers are going above and beyond in their daily duties, we want to hear about it. Tag BTG Voice on social media or send us a message at btgvoice.com.